The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 399 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is advocating for access to cystic fibrosis medication. Cystic fibrosis is an inherited disease of the mucus and sweat glands. It mostly affects the lungs, pancreas, liver, intestines, sinuses and sex organs. It causes mucus to be thick and sticky, which clogs the lungs, causing breathing problems enabling bacteria to flourish and leading to problems such as repeated lung infections and lung damage. And it also may clog other organs as well. Now, cystic fibrosis varies widely in the severity of its effects, varies widely in the symptoms it produces, and varies widely in the ages at which its its effects appear. For example, um, serious effects may be evident from birth, or other effects may be delayed until adolescence or young adult life. Cystic fibrosis has no cure, but treatments have improved considerably in recent years so that individuals living with cystic fibrosis are living into their 40s, 50s or beyond instead of dying at the age of 10 as so often happened 50 years ago all of which is why new medications are so important, and all of which is why also our topic advocating for access to cystic fibrosis medication is so important for family caregivers and their family members living with cystic fibrosis. Now, to discuss this topic, our guest is Chris McLeod. Chris is a partner in the law firm of Cambridge LLP. His practice focuses on complex business litigation, including cross-border dispute resolution, multi-jurisdictional litigation, and private international law. He's a frequent speaker and writer on topics relevant to cross-border litigation, conflict of laws, and private international law. He's also appeared before all levels of court in the province of Ontario, including the Ontario Court of Appeal. He's also appeared before the Supreme Court of Canada as co-counsel for an intervener in Canada, open brackets, Prime Minister versus CADA. He lives, Chris lives with cystic fibrosis. He chairs the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Treatment Society. And as the chair of this not 
not-for-profit, this non-profit organization, he leads all advocacy work to ensure that no patient with cystic fibrosis is without life-saving treatments that are available on the market. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much for having me and uh, for giving us an opportunity to discuss uh, what I view is a very important topic about how do we access new and needed medication. Right, exactly. So first off, though, please tell us more about your life as a prominent lawyer living with cystic fibrosis. Chris? Well, I've been blessed in that uh, I'm now 46 years old, or I should say I'm turning 46 in September. When I was born in 1969, the life expectancy for someone with CF was six. When I was 12, the life expectancy was 15. When I was 18, the life expectancy was 20. Uh, now, I, I understand the life expectancy for a person with CF in Canada is in their mid to late 40s. The reason I've managed to do as well as I have is that over the course of these years and decades, every medicine that I needed that was available was made available for me. Uh, and so I've had maybe a half dozen hospital stays throughout, one about six weeks in law school, and have done quite well on the medication provided. However, in the fall of 2012, I had a particularly bad infection, and at that time I would have been, I guess, 43, and life expectancy was sort of around the 45 mark, and I hit a wall, and it was actually while I was on my way to do a trial in Welland, Ontario, realized I just couldn't breathe, ended up in emergency, and spent the next several weeks, or many weeks, I went to the hospital first in June and ultimately was released in October. During that period, uh, it became evident that uh, I would probably need a heart-lung transplant. So it, my life generally has been, as a lawyer, I've been able to focus on the law. And yes, I have my daily regime uh, to deal with CF, which is you know pills every meal. I do an hour of treatment in the morning and an hour in the evening to clear fluid from the lungs. Other than that, it's been uh, really no complaints. It's worked well for me. But when I hit this wall in 2012, uh, and maybe we can get into it throughout uh, the rest of the interview, uh, up until then, things were great. At that point uh, is when we discovered I had actually a rare form of CF, which is the Delta 551 gene. And we then found out that there was a medication on the market. It just wasn't yet available in Canada. Right, now, Chris, I'm going to stop you there because yeah. I want to come back to the point you've just made. But first off, I want you to tell us more about your work with the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Treatment Society. Just please, please give us a word about that. Chris? Yeah, thanks. The, uh, the Canadian CF Treatment Society was an organization I actually set up as part of the, uh, the aftermath of my hospital stay in 2012. It became apparent during my stay when the doctor said, well, good news and bad news. Good news is you have a rare form of CF, and uh, there's a medication that's being discovered. It's not yet on the Canadian market, but it would assist you dramatically. 
the bad news is it costs $300,000 and it's not available. As I, he said, by the way, the company on compassionate grounds will give it to you, but only if the government of Canada lets it into the country, which they weren't prepared to do at the time. So we started a whole process, and it became clear that there was really no voice or organization that was helping people advocate. So I was doing it on my own and realized, well, geez, we need to create a body, A, to help others, but quite frankly, at the time, it was also to help myself because uh, I realized without an organization, government agencies just really weren't prepared to speak to individuals. That was my experience. They wanted to know, well, who do you represent? before they'd have a meeting. If you say, well, myself, and I've got a story to tell, they'd say, well, no, we'll wait for a formal organization to hear uh, what you've got to say. Uh, now, this wasn't necessarily individual members of Parliament, but it was sort of the body of formal organizations within the government that dealt with drug funding. I should say my experience really dealt with the province of Ontario in particular, which is where I reside, Ontario, Canada. Uh, for those who may be listening overseas. And uh, the birth of this organization was really as a function of trying to be heard. And then as I was in the process, obviously there were many others with CF who had this form uh, of, the, of the disease where this drug, Coletico, would help. So the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Treatment Society really was born out of the need to to solve a problem, how do we lobby and advocate for ourselves to get the drugs we need? Now, the next question is, tell us about your success in advocating for recognition of the new cystic fibrosis medication, as it was, Calidico. It's that's Caladico. Caladico. It's also known as Ivacaftor, correct? Okay, um, I won't try and pronounce it anymore. But the point yeah. is, you were you were you were successful. So please tell us about that success, Chris. Yeah. Thanks, and uh, I have to say, there's many individuals and uh, patients, other patients who needed the drug, who also took a real primary role. And uh, it's like anything. I mean, the the mother of invention is. Uh, crisis to some extent you know the uh, people needed the medication they needed it to live and uh it was it was a real challenge because it, some background in canada we have a um a single uh payer system meaning the government funds medication unless you have private insurance your private insurance can kick in well when we started the Kaleidico, uh campaign to have the government fund it. And at $300,000, which is the annual cost for patients to utilize this drug, unless someone has private insurance, it's just not affordable for most. And uh, I mean, CF doesn't just hit the rich, it hits the poor, it hits people in every income stream. And regardless of what income stream you're in, $300,000 is a lot of money for a medication. But it is transformative. Uh, so our success on the Gladico fight started with myself and me getting on the drug on a compassionate. So we, our first piece of the campaign was how do we, the company was willing to give it to me and four others if the government of Canada would let it into the country. Uh, so they were going to waive the cost. 
we had to lobby because the government had reservations as to whether there would be any financial exposure to them if they let it into the country, which may seem silly, but they did. Ultimately, they agreed and they let it in for us. Then it was given a DIN number, which is a drug information number, which allows it to be put on the marketplace. Uh, once it was on the market, I have private insurance through my business, and so my private insurance kicked in, and I was covered. But so many of the others who did not have private insurance were left behind. So we then started to advocate, focusing primarily on the province of Ontario. So when the province of Ontario uh, agreed to fund it, the others for the most part, have come on board. I think we've got every province now in the country covered, with the exception of Newfoundland. The but BC and the others are on. Canada has a very complicated system of how drugs are approved for public funding. Now, Chris, I'm, going to, I'm going to stop you there. I know I'm very rude okay. in doing this, but um, we're going to be exploring some of those issues in the next segment because right now it's the tyranny of time. It's the time to take. Yes, I understand. Right? Right. This is where we have to pay the rent. <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Chris McLeod. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Chris McLeod. 
Our topic is advocating for access to cystic fibrosis medication. Now, Chris, let's talk about the challenges associated with access, disparity and inequity as these relate to medications of demonstrable value in the treatment of cystic fibrosis. So the first question then is, what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges associated with access to medications for cystic fibrosis? Chris? In one word, cost. The new drugs that are coming onto the market, particularly with cystic fibrosis, uh, are exorbitantly expensive. the drugs right now, um, the drug Kaladico, which we've been speaking of, is a it's a genetic medication. So it actually is able to assist at the genetic level and alter the genetic defect. So in my case, and the reason why there really are no side effects, I'll just give this background. I know we've got we're going to explore this a little further, but in terms of a demonstrable value for the treatment of CF, this drug Kaladico normalizes the genetic defect. So you take it twice a day, but because it's really just normalizing something or placing something back to the place it should be, it's uh, extremely effective. My lung function went from 30% to now 60%, which is effectively a 100% increase. And I went from being on four liters of oxygen a minute to not on oxygen at all and walking up and down stairs to get to my office. So the result has been transformative, not just for me, uh, but for many others. And ideally, we get this medication to people when their lung function is still 90% and they won't see the drop so that we're not seeing a transformative effect but stabilizing them. Having said that, and President Obama hit on this in his State of the Union address this year, where he actually had a patient who is cystic fibrosis, who's on the drug Kaladico in the, uh, at, the, at the State of the Union, and oftentimes the president will have people from America, and he invited them to sit beside Michelle Obama. And he spoke about a commitment the U.S. government was going to make to funding precision medicine. And that's where we can really target the genetic defect. And then once we know where the gene is defective, fix it. He had earmarked some money for that. But that obviously becomes an extremely costly product when that research is done. We see this with the price of Kaladico. And Kaladico really deals with 10% of the population who has CF. There's a new drug that's coming onto the market, and I believe it's going to be called Oram, Orambi, Oramki, from the same drug company, Vertex and uh, takes the different genetic defects that people have, because the Delta 551 gene, the new iteration of Kaladico deals with the Delta 508 gene. So they number so many genes, they just give them numbers and letters in CF. But to circle back to your question, the biggest challenge is how do you fund it? And in every country, there's a different... Uh, metrics you have to go through. In the U.S., uh, which I'm not well familiar with, but there's a different, uh, it's very complex because of the level of private insurance. In Canada, uh, you're dealing directly with, because of the nature of our federal state, with provincial governments, because provinces are responsible for health care. Australia 
has its own challenges, as do the uh, countries in the European Union. But ultimately, it's cost. Cost, right. period. Greatest challenge facing new medication that's effective for CF. Right. Now, what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges associated with disparity in available of availability of medications for cystic fibrosis? Chris? Uh, well, and I really think both disparity and inequity almost dovetail together. That You've got income disparity. There's yes. those who do not have private insurance and simply then are left to whether or not they, they can fit into uh, a particular program with public funding and whether or not public funding will even cover the drug. In the case of Kaleidico, for instance, because of the price tag, there was real debate in most countries around the world as to whether or not they would, in fact, put list Kaleidico as a drug that was publicly funded. In Canada and other countries, that list is known as the drug formulary. And once a drug is on the public formulary, the government will fund it. Uh, getting new drugs onto public formularies is very challenging. So there's a disparity in access uh, based on whether or not, uh, if you don't have private insurance, then you're going to require the public system and whether the public system covers it. Private insurance will pretty much automatically, um, if it has a DIN number and it's covered in your plan, you're covered. By the way, the company, I have to say, has been quite helpful in matching the copay. So, especially in North America, drug plans will usually cover 80% of a drug. The company would pay the other 20% in most cases, which allows patients just to access it. So, circling back again, disparity in income, but also disparity in region. In Canada, and I, I think the same may be said for other, uh, particularly in the U.S., but in Canada, if you live in B.C., B.C. may or may not be covering a particular drug, while Ontario may or may not cover it. So a person with CF in Ontario might have access to a medication, but not in British Columbia. And that's not just with cystic fibrosis, but that's depending on various cancer treatments. It's come up often in the past couple of years how a patient with a particular form of cancer would be able to access the needed treatment in one province but not another. It creates regional disparity. And then, of course, if you have private insurance or if you don't, it creates an income disparity, both of which uh, are really disturbing, particularly when it comes to health care. There's a general sense, certainly in Canada, that if somebody's ill, that's <laughs> especially children who have a genetic condition, it's not of their making. You need to look after those who are in need. It's not just the Canadian thing, it's a human condition. We all feel that uh, if people have a condition and they're suffering and it relates to their health, their family, their friends, and their community want to come to the plate and look after them. And we're seeing it's able to be done differently in different regions. Whether you have, for example, your income level, can you, do you have the money with or without insurance to fly down to the United States? Or do you fly to, uh, to a different region of the country? Like, for example, Canadians will sometimes fly to the Cleveland Clinic or the, uh, the Mayo Clinic to get treatment if they could afford it, or a private clinic. Uh, 
families and whether they're able to take time off work to look after their children in need. Now, when I was in hospital for weeks, my you know, I was on my own, but obviously your family wants to be around you in a time of need. Are they able to sometimes fly across the country? They need to, uh, depending on how far you are from the hospital, they may be in a hotel room. When people are doing uh, heart-lung transplants, well, they need to be near the transplant hospital. Right. And they, they may be waiting for weeks or months. There's an incredible cost and burden on family members. I think that's now, your show. I'm just going to interrupt you on the costs and burdens, mm-hmm. because I want to bring in the word inequity. Yeah. You've bridged over from disparity into inequity. But what are the most challenging of the challenges associated with this word inequity? And what does it mean to you, Chris? Inequity, I, I think it's that some people can't afford it and some people can't. And that inequity in income really hits on the burden that um, those who can't access it face. And it's a burden that's borne by their families. I know when, for example, 13-year-old Maddie Vanstone, uh, her parents didn't have private insurance. The government was not yet covering Kaleidico. Well, her classmates were holding bake sales to help her raise the money. So I had private insurance. I was on the drug. The government didn't yet cover the drug, so her classmates in grade, or what grade you're in when you're 13, is it grade 8, grade 7, her classmates were holding bake sales. Her family and the community were holding uh, potluck dinners and trying to raise money. And uh, they did phenomenal effort and work. But when you're trying to raise $300,000, which is just enough for one year's course of the medication, it's challenging. That's the iniquity I see. It's the, uh, the difference between someone getting the medication and others not getting it. I think there's also a huge iniquity in people's ability to know how to advocate for themselves. It's not easy to know who to call, uh, whether it's a provincial member of parliament or a federal member, member of parliament. Uh, even though health is provincial, there is a time and place when you need to speak to the federal members. There's a particular government agencies. So there's an inequity in knowledge. So there's a knowledge gap. There's an income gap in what people know and they need to be able to do to access uh, the levers of power, for lack of a better way to put it. Which is where where people like you, the advocates, are so important. That is to say, you are part of the voice that people in these situations need. And that's why I'm saying to you, the work you are doing and the work you've done is so vitally important. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, let's take the break um, because we're going to come back to these things um, in the next segment. Uh, This is Dr. Gordon Athley, and my guest is Chris McLeod. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. We will be back. (music) 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Chris McClam. Our topic is advocating for access to cystic fibrosis medication. Um. Chris, in the previous segment, you identified challenges associated with access, disparity, and inequity, as these relate to medications of demonstrable value in the treatment of cystic fibrosis. So I'd now like you, please, to identify ways in which advocacy confronts the challenges you've identified. You've already kind of hinted at several of those, but I'd like you to go over those again in a bit more detail. So, first question is, in what ways does advocacy confront the challenges associated with access to these medications? Chris? Well, I guess they're at a variety of levels. One is, patients often don't even, you need to be able to advocate, advocate, let me back up, to advocate is to assist Almost be a spokesperson and help um, lobby both the family and the patients in knowing you need to advocate to know what is available. Oftentimes, a patient may have CF, but if they aren't able to communicate effectively with their doctor, they don't even know what medications are there. So, first of all, advocate to determine what medications are present and available that would assist and benefit demonstrably a patient's health. Two, there is the different routes to fund that medication. <coughs> Excuse me. So the first would be 
dealing with government. Is it publicly funded? But even if you have private insurance, it's also to determine uh, that your particular insurance uh, program, in fact, funds it. And then it's to work with business and the large and medium-sized, excuse me, to ensure that public that the private sector insurance policies have plans that actually incorporate these particular drugs. Not every private insurance plan will have CF drugs on it. And there's a big issue, even amongst private insurance companies, and it's going to be growing, as more and more um, what we'll call rare diseases, which are those diseases where um, there may be a medication but it only delivers, it only helps a small piece of the population, and they tend to be very expensive because it's only helping a few people. So advocacy has many levels. You need to advocate with doctors, with insurance companies, with government for public funding. Oftentimes the public piece, well, it gets all the press because it involves government and tax dollars, it isn't always the biggest piece. It's dealing with also, the various bodies that raise the money, the hospitals that do, and the universities that do the research, to push for research into medication and basic science. So there's layers and levels of advocacy, and the challenge is to kind of marshal your resources. And at the CF Treatment Society, our focus is drugs that are on the marketplace that are currently available, making sure patients know they exist, and if they need it and their doctor recommends it, that we can work to ensure that it gets into their, uh, their medicine cabinet. Right. And whether that's through public funding or private insurance or any other method or means possible. Uh, one of the things I think the U.S. does really well, and there's lessons to be learned on the Canadian side and elsewhere in the, in the uh, Commonwealth would be uh, – Unique programs at the individual and community level. There, uh, quite frankly, Kaleidico was everyone in the United States who needed Kaleidico got Kaleidico far before anyone in Canada was able to access Kaleidico on the public system because they've got so many different levels and layers of programs at the state and the county level that overlap. And there's just a lot of uh, what I'll call micro entrepreneurialism where it was even or social entrepreneurialism that really helps people and patients access medication. So some important lessons I think we can learn on, from the state side. Right. Uh, we all know there's challenges in the states as well. I don't want to put too <laughs> soft a gloss on it, but, um, you know, we can get a little too uh, high and mighty on our horses in Canada thinking, oh, we've got an amazing public health care system. Well, it really is a two-tiered system. Particularly on the medication front. I mean, those who have private insurance easily get the medication they need. Uh, They get to pick and choose maybe a generic or the brand or whatever uh, medications that other people, the doctor might say, well, if you don't have private insurance, this medication just isn't available to you. It's not on the formulary. So again, Chris, I, I'm, going I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you there. I know I'm always being rude to you in this way, but I want you to go to disparity. And, you know, you're talking about access, but you were also mentioning the point that you might be able to get something you need in one part of Canada and find that you're not entitled to it in another. I know you said yeah. more than that, but how does advocacy work in those kinds of situations? Chris? Well, I mean, 
if you don't, if the medication is not publicly available in one part of the country versus another. For example, it's not available in Alberta, but it is available in Ontario, for instance. Family may have a difficult choice of whether they should choose to move, which would mean employment, uh, housing, etc. move across the country. Canada, as we know, is a very large land. That's not an easy decision to make. So the regional disparity in terms of advocacy, we also have very different governments in the very, in the different provinces. Whether, uh, and different, we have, remember every province has its own healthcare system, its own department of health or the ministry of health, a ministry of social services. So you're dealing with an entirely different bureaucratic regime in every province. Uh, generally, the same principles obviously are at play. We, we're still governed by the common law in the country. But uh, when you're advocating, and the, the regional disparity is significant, you may have a conservative government in Alberta, a, well, I should say, we now have a new democratic government in Alberta, a liberal government in uh, Ontario, and a, uh, you know, a completely different regime, by the way, the health care and funding for CF drugs is very different in Quebec. You also have that linguistic issue. Uh, we haven't done much with my organization in advocating in Quebec, partly just from a language area. So uh, they speak French. It's a unilingual Francophone province. So it would be very difficult even to utilize our organization to advocate in Quebec just because of the language barrier. There's another disparity. So you've got different governments you're focusing on. You're really trying to push. Well, you've got three territories and ten provinces. Uh, and everyone has a different government, different deputy minister, different budgetary requirements. Some provinces are doing better off financially, better off than others. And it become, and they also have different numbers of patients. I think the number I heard was Newfoundland had one patient who needed the drug Colatico. Well, Ontario may be closer to 60. So it's a very different, uh, and more, quite frankly, when you only... If you have one patient, it could either make it an easy job to advocate or a harder job because they say, well, it's only one patient or because it's only one, it becomes easier. So regional disparity, you're dealing with very different governments uh, in the different parts of the country. So now, when, the does this, when does this disparity become inequitable? That is, I'm going to use the word unfair, badly yeah. unfair. Well, when does that come in, and how does advocacy confront that challenge, Chris? It, well, it's a good example with, with again, the Kaleidico fight. Ontario was one of the first provinces to publicly list Kaleidico. Uh, some of the other provinces, and we're dealing with CF. It's an insidious condition. So days can mean uh, the difference between life and death, quite frankly. If you get a terrible infection... By the time that infection hits you, it doesn't wait for the bureaucratic red tape. If you're in a province where the drug is not funded and you are hospitalized, in a matter of weeks, quite frankly, in a matter of days, your lung function could go from 70% down to 30. And once it hits the bottom, hits a low number, whether it's 20, 30, 40%, sometimes, and the longer you wait, the harder it is to bring it back up. So uh, the challenge and the disparity or let's deal with the inequity. The, the unfairness of this is that somebody who's in a region of the country where the drug is not yet covered, and if they have the 
the poor fortune to be hospitalized, the consequence, quite frankly, could be devastating. Now, thank goodness we haven't seen anyone who needed the drug pass away because they didn't get it yet. But I worry now that the new drug is coming out, which covers 60% of the population of CF patients, uh, that we're going to see a significant uh, advocacy campaign that's going to be, I hope not, but it may well be lengthy because we're dealing with the 10 provinces and three territories. And if somebody needs the drug and isn't able to get it because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time and they expire, well, you know, that's a, it's a tragedy that should never occur. That's where the unfairness comes in. And we're able to talk about it now, but there's many conditions and many individuals where that's already happened outside of the CF population. And right. it's very unfortunate. <clears throat> and cancer, quite frankly, and cancer treatment is a great living example of that, where uh, treatments are covered in one province but, in, but not another. And that's the unfairness. That's the inequity. Uh, and that's one of the greatest challenges we have with advocacy because it's such a all-on effort, and it really needs to be done locally. Having somebody in one province say that uh, it's hard to advocate in a different jurisdiction. So the best we could really do is help mentor and coach and uh, provide access if we're able to for patients. But they've really got to be the ones who are the spokesmen in the various provinces. And people are at varying skill sets and ability and experience levels to do that. Right. And, and, you know, some people find it really intimidating. I remember when we were doing the Calatico campaign, I was trying to find a patient who could help out in the province of Alberta, because also with issues of privacy, they don't let, that's not necessarily easy to get that information. And another challenge on advocacy with CF is CF patients are not allowed to have close, pro, be in close proximity to each other because of the spread of infection. So thank oh, yes. goodness we have internet now, so people are able to communicate via, there's a Facebook group, Kaleidico for Canadians, and so people can communicate through social media. But it becomes challenging, and uh, when it comes to funding drugs, everything is local and personal. So it's people locally who are affected that need to advocate locally to see a positive effect occur. We can help them if we're not in province, but it's really a on-the-ground campaign. Gotcha. Chris, I'm going to stop you simply because time's running out, because I want to ask you something else. So we'll just take the break now, and then we're going to come back. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Chris McLeod. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Chris McLeod. Our topic is advocating for access to cystic fibrosis medication. Chris, Now let's talk about what more you would like to do and see done to strengthen advocacy for access to cystic fibrosis medication. So what, Chris, would you like to do more through the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Treatment Society to strengthen advocacy for access? Chris? The one thing I would love to be able to do, and we're going to try to make it a reality, is find the... There's one vexing, quest problem, vexing question right now for government, as well as drug companies, as well as the big insurance companies. How do we fund expensive drugs? And uh, the government has a point when they say, look, at every time there's a new drug that's 300000 a year and it can help save somebody, um, there's a limited amount of resources. So we need to put our thinking caps on, bring all the players to the table, government, pharma, patients, doctors, researchers, insurance companies, and say, how do we find a public-private partnership that will be able to deal with the uh, ensuring access and availability to these drugs? Uh, I don't want to ask the government to do a royal commission because, hey, it costs money and it takes forever and it seems to be a way of delaying responses. What I'd love to do is, for lack of a better way to put it, have a private sector royal commission. Let's bring in the accountants. Let's do the econometrics on it. Let's figure out what the solutions are because I actually think they exist. I think there's some tough choices that need to be made, but I think that we can make them and we can have the private sector lead this initiative so that we can say to government, we've, you know, we've raised 
the funds necessary. We've done the studies. We've brought together the best and the brightest minds. Here's how we fix and solve this problem of making sure medications are accessed and they're available by the patients who need them. We know it can't just be a matter of the government always paying for costly drugs, but there's a public-private partnership here. There's some decisions that need to be made, and here we've helped do some of the really hard work and help make some really sometimes difficult choices as to how we're going to fund going forward. Right. Now, I'm I'd going love to, to see that stop, you, stop you again there because I want you to say more about that public-private partnership that or inter-public, inter-private partnership you've been talking about. In other words, say more about who should be involved with it, who's going to bring it all together, and how it's going to be made to happen. Chris? Uh, right now, I mean, I think definitely the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Treatment Society has as one of our top agendas. When we're not advocating for an individual to get the drug they need, we need to look at the macro level and bring these different players together. So the senior bureaucrats who have decision-making ability, whether in the Department of Finance, Ministry of Health, the insurance companies who are making decisions, and quite frankly, they're all making money and they're still funding these drugs. You haven't heard of any insurance companies in Canada as of late uh, that are doing well on their profit-loss statements. So there's ways that this can work. But we need to bring the right individuals. It's about finding who those key players are, bringing together a, a, a real blue ribbon panel, uh, or a royal, it wouldn't be a royal commission, but a, a, a blue ribbon panel that would effectively do the same thing. Provide, publish and provide all the information needed. So, and say, here's our 10 page executive summary recommendation. And it's got to involve drug companies. It's going to involve insurance companies. It's going to involve academics and universities, economists and accounting firms, as well as government in the relevant ministries, the, in Ontario, the Ontario Drug Benefit Program, in the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Finance, and including the feds, and say, how do we now make this work so that this can be funded? For example... I've heard that in Ontario, I don't know if this is accurate, but there's 150 million spent on stomach medication. There's vast amounts of money spent on uh, different medications, some of which, and even as a CF patient, there's medications that I could tell you, I'm not sure that if we had choices to make, we'd want this in the form, on the formulary if we had a choice to bring something else onto the formulary. So there may be some choices about removing some items, which nobody likes to speak of. But I'm saying everything's open because at the end of the day, we need to get needed medication to those who are desperately in need of uh, taking it to making sure that they can walk and breathe air going forward. So uh, tough choices. We need to pull together a real a blue ribbon panel of experts coming from cross-industry sectors, and I think everybody's going to have to take a bit of a hit at some level if we're going to make this work, and I don't think it's going to be a dramatic hit. I don't think anybody's big farm is still going to do well, and insurance will do well, and the government needs to be able to... I think what the government really also wants is stability and certainty, you know, so they can plan and project for the future. 
But nobody's going to take the lead on this <laughs> unless we do. Right. Now, I'm going to stop you there, as I'm okay. accustomed to doing, by saying to you that perhaps another topic um, for maybe us, but certainly others to discuss, is in the context of what Canada is actually talking about now is a national rather than provincial organization for medications generally. It would seem to me, Chris, that what you've been talking about would fit into that notion of a national pharmacy plan. Now, I'm not going to give you a, ch a chance to answer that question because it's a lengthy one, uh, yeah. because I have another question for you. But that's the power of what you're talking about. That, that's the context in which you're talking. And that's something that needs discussion, as you've made so very clear. Now, I'm going to ask you a quite different question, uh, just as the final one. And it's this. What you and I are actually doing now is recording an episode in which you've discussed a topic that's important for the cystic fibrosis community. The episode will be saved in an archive. Our episode will be. Do you think that having more discussions like this one in the archive would be helpful? And if so, how would it be helpful to the cystic fibrosis community? And if you don't think it would be helpful, why wouldn't it be? Chris, please. I think it's absolutely helpful. I think it's critical that it be done. Uh, remember, in part, CF patients in particular can't meet each other face-to-face. -face. They need vehicles and tools by which to communicate and offer um, forums for discussion. This is, obviously, I've got my, my views on this and how it might work, but other people may have... Well, Agree or disagree, but it's important that we put, we get the conversation going. To have a conversation, people need to listen. Listen to what maybe what you and I have spoken of today and offer their own, uh, platforms and chance to reply. So it's critical that it be cataloged, that people have a chance to hear and reflect and then put out new position papers and ideas because this is I don't have all the answers. Nobody really does. The point is we need to start talking about it. And right. the conversations need to be recorded and logged so that we have some corporate memory on the topic. Yes. Chris, I'll get, <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one because it's very, okay. very, very powerful. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this, as I've said, very, very powerful and important uh, episode. I want to say thank you to Chris. Um, and all I can say to you is for the sake of the entire cystic fibrosis community and for other communities that have the same sorts of challenges, and you've mentioned them, all I can say to you is please, for the sake of us all, keep up your good work. It's powerful. Now, well, I also want to say thank, thank you. you to our You're welcome. Thank you to our listeners. And just very quickly to say, with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called E-Qualitative Research, which this episode is part of. The idea is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to, and for you to share with us your experience of healthcare. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. And also, if you'd like to be a guest on my show, here's how to connect with me. Please email me at docg at family caregivers unite, all one word, dot org.
And then finally, our next episode will be Mental Health Recovery by Never Giving Up Doing Things Differently. So please, everyone, join us same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.